Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. We are still in May Go Boom. Or not. I think out of all four movies, this movie that we have today is one that really exemplifies the theme this month. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. It's a prequel to a world that everybody knew prior to this movie ever being made. And we have young Sherlock Holmes today written by Chris Columbus. Is, is this the first thing he wrote after Gremlins? Uh, could be. At least something the first thing produced after Gremlins. Maybe? I would, I'm going to go with yes. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? And directed by Barry Levinson. <laughs> we talk about crazy how Barry Levinson directed this. Hot off of the natural. Which is a short while after Diner. And this is before Good Morning Vietnam. Tin Man, and of course, Rain Man. Right. So that's a nice run, dude, between Diner and Rain Man. Dude. That's some serious movie making. Right. You know, I think Columbus actually had written The Goonies, in, you know, I think r- right around the same time as this. I think the Goonies, the Goonies had already come out too, right? Maybe the year before. Right. And that's another thing too. It's one of those things got staggered because this is an emblem production. So you talk about all those three movies you mentioned, Gremlins. We don't know when they, which one got made first and which one got released first. And what, I would say this movie probably. <laughs> we don't know how it was all aligned. But he was, on the, he was in the middle. He was becoming Chris Columbus. He was starting to be a, that guy. He was starting to be that guy. This movie is super fun. I, and I remember this one never staying on the shelf in the video store. Like no, never, no way. ever, ever. It was Dude. always, it was always out. Yeah. I mean, I saw this in a theater and I couldn't wait for it to come out on video. And speaking of waiting, this is when people would sit around and wait and they would like hound people and they'd come back with movies. Or, <laughs> or, what do you have? What do you have? Oh yeah. Right. Do you have, you, you got Sherlock Holmes? You got young Sherlock <laughs> it was Holmes? so funny. The, you know, the premise is super simple. This is Sherlock Holmes. It's presented anyway that this is Sherlock Holmes and Watson's first uh, mystery together. Right. To meet each other. At, at a boarding school of all places. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it's kind of like Harry Potter. <laughs> and just a little bit like Harry Potter. And occasionally we're going to point to, we'll make points of it, because, but it happens so often that it's, it's going to become very tiresome if we keep pointing out all the Harry Potterisms in it. I could just ring a bell. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just going to be constant ringing of a bell. This is one of those movies that I always forget about. But when it, the name comes up, it's, oh, yes, yes. Dude. It's so good. I adore this movie, man. I could watch this movie. Uh, I mean, I kind of have been watching it every year uh, for the last, <laughs> right. you know, I don't know, at least the last 10 years. Because it's been on streaming. Uh, you were able to stream it most of the time. But I mean, I have a, I have a, my beat up DVD at this point. It's weird. No Blu-ray for this. Shelf Factory. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, does that sound like last week and the week before and the week before? <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty common thing with these four movies, except for Rocketeer, right? Yeah. Uh, it's funny, man. Like th- this movie is, uh, yeah, I mean, God, I love this movie. It, it's, it's, it, they do such a great job of taking, uh, the Holmes and Watson lore and, you know, in working it and you get to see all of it unfold, like, you know, all the trademark stuff. I don't want to give too much away yet, but you know, by the end of the movie, you're like, that's him. And it's, it's pretty cool, man. They, they did some great stuff with it. I mean, and the, and the performances are all, it's perfectly cast. I think no, not a lot. Of, there's no stars in this movie. I mean, if you were to look at it now, you'd be hard pressed to know who any of these people were in 1985 or now. I mean, you, their faces 
you, you know. This movie is a perfect mixture of what we would all come to know the Harry Potter franchise. And it takes liberally from, from the Indiana Jones series too. And when I say liberally, it does it enough to where you go, whoa, whoa. Whoa. And then, and then there's something that happens in this movie that happens in Crystal Skull and it drives me up the fucking wall. And I'm like, I can't believe you probably thought you're being cute in Crystal Skull putting that in there. And I just, no, it's not. Your movie sucks anyway. So, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. I was just, and I, I'm going to say what it is. Go ahead. Say it. Because I don't want to encourage anybody to watch Crystal Skull. <laughs> no, don't. There's a dart situation here where there's a blow dart in this and they're about to blow the dart on Holmes and he blows into the other end and blows it back into the assailant's mouth. And I'm like, it happens in Crystal Skull. There, I don't want, now you don't have to watch Crystal Skull again or ever. Or, yes. Just watch Young Sherlock Holmes. It's actually, it's better in Young Sherlock Holmes than it is in Crystal Skull anyway. 100%. It doesn't feel fake. No, but, you not know. At all. And because of Young Sherlock Holmes, when I saw Crystal Skull and then the whole scene happening, I'm like going, oh, dude, you're going to blow that back into his mouth, aren't you? And by the way, Joey and I just watched a Crystal Skull pitch meeting. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, I haven't gotten to it yet. You told me, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah, they talk about that moment. And he's like, oh, and there's poison on both ends? Oh, that's cool. It's pointy. That's it's funny. Anyway, there's a tone to this movie and like a lot of Amber movies in the 80s of certain whimsy, but still enough seriousness where you don't feel like you're being placated or treated like a kid. You know, we were 15, 16 years old when this thing came out. And it's something that still sticks with me. But it's such an overlooked, I mean, it is a classic as far as I'm concerned, man. It fits the bill. And I made those comparisons to to Indiana Jones. And I mean, we make comparisons to Harry Potter, but let's, and I just want to make sure <laughs> there's no misunderstanding here. But Harry Potter takes from this. You're just going to feel the more the familiar aspect of it because it's taken liberally from this wonderful movie that we're talking about. Yeah. And it's not a knock. It's, I mean, it's not a knock on any of the movies. It's just, it's just so no. weird. Like, I mean, and I felt it the very first time I ever saw the first Harry Potter movie, I was like, Oh my God, this is just like young Sherlock Holmes. Right. Holy shit. It was Chris Columbus. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, you, you can, you could take from yourself and it's okay. <laughs> but I mean, dude, right. Yeah. And like, like Holmes even calls, Watson, a weasel at one point. He's like, you're kind of like a weasel. And he's like, oh, weasel. I'm like, oh my God, it's Weasley. Why don't you just say it? <laughs> right? Just say it. Just say it. Uh, you know, but I mean. There's so much, and we've talked about Harry Potter a lot this month because of the tone and the reason why those, the, the Harry Potter books, it's one thing for the books to be big, but the movies picked up with an audience beyond the young readers that were buying up those books all the time. Because it, it it has that whimsy I just mentioned of these movies we've been talking about all month. There's a tone to them that made Chris Columbus perfect to launch that whole franchise of Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. As far as the film version of it. Oh, yeah. There's so much about these movies that carry that tone that when you sit down, I mean, it's just in our youth in, in, in 85, when we sit in a movie theater, we knew what we were going to get. And yet we were still surprised. There's a, it was like going to, to your favorite cousin's house. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know, you're going to have fun. It's that kind of thing. 
Oh yeah, man. And this, this was also like, you know, it had the Spielberg stamp on it. I mean, dude, there's everything about this is big. It's Spielberg ambling through and through the score. I mean, the, the image, the lighting, these big builds. I mean, this movie, dude, I can't believe this movie wasn't a gigantic summer smash. It's so weird to me that it wasn't. Right. And I think out of all the movies we've covered this month, this is the one that did the least box office. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, I guess because it maybe has something to do with it, that this was, you know, 85 was the beginning of that thing where people were like going, I'll wait for it to come out on video. That's kind of like when it was starting to happen. Yeah, maybe. Where people were saying that it wasn't worth taking, it wasn't worth taking, you know, you and your and your spouse and your two or three kids out. It wasn't worth going out, you know, 25, 30 bucks and dinner and all that stuff. Boy, I tell you right now, with all the, the retro theaters reopening and everything right now, I would go see this in a heartbeat. Yeah. In fact, when 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 New Beverly and Arrow and Los Feliz, they all announced, the, you know, that they're reopening, I was like, I was immediately like, oh man, put young Sherlock Holmes on there and I'm going to be there. I was, because I was just been in that mode all week because of us preparing for the episode. I was just like, yes, yes, yes. And I watched it twice this week. And I can't tell you the last time that I watched our, our whatever movie we were covering that week twice. Yeah. I watched it last week and then I watched it again this morning because same thing. Yeah. When we changed the format of the show where we're less going beat by beat, that's when I stopped doing it. But this is the first time I've done it since because I'm like, I forget how amazing this movie is. One of the things that makes it so amazing is we're talking about the looks and the massive builds, especially the big reveal. And it's all very, it's all very familiar. You know, it's, it's you, the old England that you feel throughout everything. It's, it's things that you've seen before remarkably like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> certain things in Harry Potter. But that was the whole point about the, Harry, about the Harry Potter stuff. It was supposed to look like England, old England, but not really. Right. This movie is beautifully shot by Stephen Goldblatt. Man, this dude's pedigree is just something else. Just the 80s alone, Outland with Peter Himes, The Hunger with Tony Scott, which you and I were just talking about. He right. did Cotton Club for Coppola. He did this for Levinson. Then he did Lisa Weapon 1 and 2 with Dick Donner. And he also did with Taylor Hackford, Everybody's All-American. How's that for an 80s run? Right. <laughs> That's some movie making right there. You show me one of those movies that doesn't look amazing. Exactly. And he mostly shoots 185, which this movie is, because he has this way of presenting a really intimate vibe. And then that's one of the things of why it's so cool the way they present Elizabeth and Watson and Holmes is their friendship just building and growing. And now granted at this point, Holmes and Elizabeth were already a, a you know, a couple in the making kind of thing. You know, they, they had affection for each other. Right. So you're already getting that proximity, but the same thing with Watson. And if you see something, something I noticed early on the second time I watched this week was Watson was much whiter in the frame until about halfway through the movie. And then he's right there with Holmes the whole time, you know, just giving you that, that feeling of, all right, this is where they're really becoming a team. And it's really just, right. it's not, it's not cheeky. That's what's so good about it and why it's so well, you know, directed and written and performed. It doesn't, never feels cheeky. And you, and again, just like with, you want to make the comparison again, the same, they took the same thing they did here by using virtual unknowns to create this world. 
that's what they did with Potter as well. And yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's it's such smart filmmaking because you don't have expectations of the people that are performing, and that's what makes the movie work and it's so believable. And then all the adults in the movie are character as hell, dude. Right? Yes. I mean. <laughs> With the exception of Wraith and, you know, they're all, they, they look like they came right. I mean, well, they look like they went in from right from Sherlock Holmes into Harry Potter. <laughs> I mean, all of them could yeah. have been teachers at Hogwarts. Every fucking, every person in this movie, e- even some of the sequences, I, I don't want to keep beating the Harry Potter drum, but like the, the thing where, where Holmes has to solve the trophy and there's, you know, everyone's running around the school and the kid, I mean, Dude, some of the shots, I mean, the lighting and the halls, it, it's all so Harry Potter. I mean, there's a there's yeah. a guy, he, his name might as well be Malfoy. <laughs> I mean, yes. dude, and you know, when Holmes drops his science experiment into his teeth, it's a remarkably fun movie. And then it's funny too, that borderline Malfoy character. It's a nice setup to the, uh, oh, see, man, Holmes pisses off everybody just by being himself and you <laughs> sure so but the whole time you're watching the movie you're thinking all right which one of you guys is going to be turned to moriarty right and you think about it for a while it's going to be that guy right and you're you're 100 right i mean this this kid may as well ben malfoy and he and by the way did he look remarkably like the one of the kids that was in dead poet society yes absolutely which but yeah there is a and that's another thing too i think when when we saw this movie originally in the theater we were the age of all the kids in it. Right. And that's what I think it was so easy for us to relate to it. And the the mystery that, that gets presented here, once they set up the whole Sherlock Holmes moment, who he is at this point by looking for the sort of the hidden trophy, it's you kind of set it up perfectly and like, all right, now you know that he is Sherlock Holmes and he has he's very confident and everybody in the school is an admiration except for one particular person right of who he is and what he's capable of doing every everybody is in awe and he's just super jealous and i i love the fact that after they do the whole thing with the peroxide moment if you will if you want to call it that right a, a very much a spell if you will right <laughs> we, um science experiments that's the last time we see him you know, we talk about Nicholas Rowe playing Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if he said his name yet. Alan Cox, like we mentioned, is Brian Cox's son playing Watson and Sophie Ward playing Elizabeth Hardy. Right. The three of them are so wonderful together. Yeah, man. They're great. Yeah. They're, it's, it's crazy how good they are together. They probably didn't have a whole lot of <laughs> rehearsal time, but it goes back to that whole thing we mentioned during The Borrowers. British drama students just have a certain way of learning and they're always very well prepared. And I got to think that, you know, that definitely helps out a production like this that probably didn't have a lot of time to shoot. Oh yeah. And and there's not like any phoned in or stock performances either. I mean, everybody's kind of bringing a little something extra to the table between Anthony Higgins and Susan Fleetwood who play uh, Mrs. Dibb and Professor Wraith, Nigel Stock as uh, Dr. Waxflatter, <laughs> who's Elizabeth's yeah. uncle. I mean, dude, we're getting some, we're getting gold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everywhere. And, and the tone, like we mentioned earlier, the tone of it is perfectly described by his tone. You, when this movie came out, this wasn't a summer movie. This was a holiday movie. This came out December 4th in 1985. This was supposed to be one. This was Anwen's Christmas movie for 85. It should have been bigger, but boy. And it's like we talked about, it sets itself up perfectly for a franchise, not just because of the the, the whole, hey, this is the, the teenage versions of Conan Doyle's 
adult versions of, of these guys. Once you see the movie, you're thinking there was going to be sequels with them as teenagers and them coming back together long before they're adults. And that, I mean, that was the setup. And unfortunately we, we didn't get it, but this movie is well-loved like the other movies that we've talked about this month and previous months of movies that aren't considered big box office properties, but this one should have launched. Hell, it should have done at least three, four times the money oh. that it made. Even if that wouldn't have been enough to, for sequels, it still would have, it still, still should have done better. We should have gotten at least two sequels out of this movie. Right. And that's why it's easy to make those Raiders of the Lost Ark comparisons because that was what they were going for. You know, it was, you know, that was the pitch. You know, that was in the, in the meetings with, with Spielberg and, and probably Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall, right? This time, 85. Sure. Yeah. Their names are all front and center at the beginning. Yeah. Th this is like, hey, we want to turn this into Raiders of the Lost Ark, but for a little bit younger of a crowd and a little bit more uh, intricate of storylines. And, and, you know, it's think, if you think about it, the Raiders of the Lost Ark series, the whole indie series, well, Sans, that last one, is very much like this movie in that the, there's a mystery to be solved and the mystery isn't as front and center as it seems to be. You're throwing historical fact into the story. You know, they're all structured that same way. Like, you know, it all has something to do with the past and, the, you know, the sins of the father. This movie made me want to watch more things like the mummy and, <laughs> you know, things going right. into Egypt and coming forward, you know, dude, I have no, I have no problem with any of the exposition. No. Um, like the scene where, you know, where they go and, you know, the guy almost takes Watson's head off with the shotgun <laughs> and he gives him the story <laughs> right. about the five and, you know, their, their time in Egypt and how they burned the villa, you know, all that stuff. It's done in a, super interesting and you know especially when you're 14 15 years old because i mean you know at the time king tut i mean i who was king tut to me other than steve martin right <laughs> now I, i'm not super familiar with all the sherlock holmes books what what was the first book the first book the first sherlock holmes book i think is uh called 220 uh hold on i know what it is because i looked it up yesterday hang on adventures of sherlock holmes that's the short stories that's where it started i think yeah 1892 I thought a study in Scarlet was the first full novel. No. Okay. So maybe it was, so that was well, the first appearance of Holmes and Watson is in a study in Scarlet. Okay. Yeah. And then, but Hounder Baskervilles is probably the one that everybody's most, most familiar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it's, there's the most movie versions of that Hounds of Baskerville. Right. And now when, when, when does Moriarty actually come into play again? I'm not, I'm not that familiar with, I mean, I read like maybe three of the books when I was younger but I can't remember when he comes around, you know, I think that's what's so clever about how the, if they're being loyal to the books that come afterwards and, and, and respecting that, and I have to assume they are, but the way they put that little, little note at the end, just before the credits roll. Right. I have to assume that they, Chris Columbus wrote it in a way that it pushes right into the novels everybody's familiar with or <laughs> more familiar than we are. Yeah. Study in Scarlet is the first one. And then, if, if memory serves, I think that the first one with Moriarty is uh, it's either Valley of Fear or the uh, the Sign of Four might be the first one with Moriarty. I, I don't remember because, I mean, I read them all when I was young, like real young, like, you know, 12 to 14. That's when I was into my Sherlock Holmes, right before young Sherlock Holmes, a couple of years because I remember being terrified of the Hounds of Baskerville when I was about seven or eight. We used to sit and we'd watch it like at midnight with my uncle. 
Okay, so Moriarty's first appearance occurs in the in the 1893 short story, The Adventure of the Final Problem. Ah. So it wasn't even in the full novel. It was a short story. Interesting. Copy that. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it enough to... There's been some fandom, and we talked about that before, with uh, the Irregulars, right? Right. Uh, there are people that were questioning if Moriarty even existed, that if he was a figment of, of Holmes's imagination. Right. Like if he's a, if he's a manifestation uh, during his, uh, you know, drug binges. Right. right. And that, that final problem, the, the short story we just mentioned to Watson and Moriarty never actually meet in person, which I think is kind of interesting. Right. Like that, that's, yes. And I think they kind of touched on that in one of the Guy Ritchie movies, I think. Right. You know, I, I haven't seen, like we talked about him recently and I haven't seen either one of them so long that, I, and again, we talked about it when we did talk about it, I think we were referring to, um, what were we talking about? We were talking about the regulars, I think, weren't we at the time? We were talking about the irregulars. Uh -huh. Yeah. And yeah. I think we were, we're, I said, you know, I'm, this is a good chance for me to kind of segue into the Sherlock Holmes movies with RDJ because Joey's, that's a, it's a good segue into that kind of movie. But then that's what I think got us talking about young Sherlock Holmes and why we picked it for this, for this month. I almost feel like I wanted, I want to give him young Sherlock Holmes before the RDJ, you know? Yeah. I think movies. you should for sure. Yeah. Yes. See, you could see where the legend, where, where, where it all kind of, you know, stems from and of course, you know, that way. Right. And of course, Moriarty is played by the awesome Mark Strong in those Guy Ritchie movies. And in the first one, first he one. is, right? Doesn't Jared Harris play Moriarty in the second one? Or is he playing a different character? I mean, I, here's the thing. I barely remember those two movies for some reason. They kind of just blur into one movie. I mean, so, they might be worth, <laughs> they might be worth revisiting at some point, but yes. maybe not. Yeah. I like the second one. I remember a lot more than the first one. The thing about, and, and we, we kind of touched on this briefly when we were talking about the irregulars, the world of Sherlock Holmes is so dense and it's like, it's so easy unless you're one of those people that have been, that's in their fifties or sixties or seventies have been reading them since you were 10. You probably haven't consumed everything that's out there. And there's been so many filmed adaptations too, especially on the BBC. I mean, you couldn't even, and I'm not, I'm talking about pre-Cumberbatch, like, I mean, a ton of stuff yeah. that's out there. Oh, for sure, man. There's the dude, I mean, Basil Rathbone played him for like 20 times if you played him once. Yeah. And if you're talking about Doctor Who being probably the most ad adapted, uh, or I should say the, the longest running whatever on BBC, gosh, I got to think maybe can, maybe from a, a constant standpoint, but I got to think there's been more Sherlock Holmes on BBC than than Doctor Who well, at this point. More Sherlock Holmes movies than yes. any other movie franchise, I would imagine. Yeah. But here's the thing. So Mark Strong played Lord Henry Blackwood in the uh, first Sherlock Holmes, and Jared Harris did play uh, Moriarty in the second one. Right, because I think they, they were alluding to, to Blackwood kind of... We kept seeing the shadow of Moriarty, and they kept teasing, like, maybe he was Moriarty, but they never really revealed it until the second movie. Right. I, I think, if I remember the two movies correctly. Both those movies were, I remember being really fun because it was Guy Ritchie got, getting to play in a bigger sandbox than he had after rebounding nicely with rock and roll. Right. But this one, and it's so funny how I can talk about a, a Sherlock Holmes film and instantly go, yeah, but have you seen this? And have you seen young Sherlock Holmes? And man, I really, if you're under 30, you probably haven't seen it. That's my conversational experience is that most people haven't seen it at even under 40. Right. No, it, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of movie because it doesn't really have a wide release. It's not really ever been pushed. I remember it was on VHS forever and it wasn't on DVD even right away. And then at some point 
Paramount pushed out a bunch of titles and that was one of them, but we, there still isn't really a proper Blu-ray. I don't believe. Not even over in Caesar. I haven't seen one anywhere. Yeah. No, me neither. Not even like a weird Aussie one. Cause usually, you know, you can find everything, you know, <laughs> seriously. I mean, yeah. dude, I found things like instant justice with Michael Parry and Tony Katane in Australia. Dude, the, the and the last frame of this movie, right? When Holmes and Watson, you know, they they leave and they leave Uncas the dog. <laughs> I'll be right back, Uncas. And <laughs> and, 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 and Watson walks Holmes out of the school, and they walk out, and they're saying their goodbyes. And you know, uh, Watson hands over the pipe, which uh, you know he picked up. Buy something, Watson. We so we see how the pipe came about, and we see you know, we in that last frame that you see of Holmes in the carriage. That profile is, I mean, that's right off the book, man. That's the silhouette, you know, and and they they did such a nice job of setting it up. I mean, it's funny, man, because the movie really kind of touches all those bases and they did everything really in a very caring and pretty amazing way, like to uh, satisfy the purists. Right. There's something there for them. There's something there for people, new people to be drawn into it, you know? And then, and it was just it, during that time in the eighties, man, uh, kids were put in peril. Like we talked about this before, yeah. right? You know, and that was part of what going to the movies was cool because, you know, you know, and this movie almost is set up the same as the, with the Ra- like the Raiders movies, which you said earlier, like in a, a almost like a serial format, like could, you could break this movie up into six parts, right. And show it in, you know, in six 20 minute bits, whatever, you, you know, whatever yeah. the math is for the running time. Um, and, and, and book it. And she, you could, you could stop it when, uh, after he solves the crime, you could stop the next one where, you know, he's in the, um, the Egyptian shop and it, it, you know, they're like little chapters and it, it, it was really a fun movie and it was really great to revisit it. I mean, and, and to do this one for the last of our, uh, may go boom or not. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we built the whole month around this movie. <laughs> We did. <laughs> like we had this one, right? And then we just, we went and found three others that we loved and <laughs> we're kind of in the same boat as far as like, hey, franchise, but you know, it didn't happen. But yeah, man, they, this is such a crazy fun movie. And, and maybe we mentioned this before. The one thing that I said still shocks me is that Elizabeth dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which she has to. Yeah. The way the movie initially ends before the credits roll, you're like, if you're kind of like, oh, okay, well... I thought Moriarty was always his nemesis. Like, well, you're setting up this idea that this happened before that, kind of like how the beginning of Last Crusade sets up the whole Indiana Jones series as you know, Indy becomes an adult and and is going after all these artifacts. But of course, that's what's so great when you, and they were smart to kind of, you know, now they would have the whole uh, visual you see over the crawl at the end. What, what would we have seen there? We would have seen that these days. That would have been a post-credit thing. And it's too long, though. It runs the whole gamut and beyond the crawl. So it's too long to have right. put in a post-credit. And But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, they're very smart in how they kept the movie under a certain duration. Borrowers, they did it, something like that to kind of keep it under 90 minutes. This one, they kept it to keep it under two hours because it would have been, it would have been like what? If they would have put, put it before the, the the crawl, probably would have been one fifty five instead of the one. I was going to say one fifty five, one fifty seven, yeah. something like that. And it's really well done. It's super cute. And by the way, there's a part in there where Wraith, when he when they're fencing at the end, and he gets it gets the scar in the same spot that Holmes had a scar from the from their first right. fight. That was just so yes. so great, dude. Just and I, and I wish it would have been on the other side, you know, so it would have mirrored each other. Right. I thought that would have made more sense, but it still works. The movie is so 
fucking fun. You know, going after we uh, see, I don't know if anybody, I don't know if we, we didn't really establish this yet, but we had a, this is a recorded in two sessions because we had such internet issues. I don't know how much You'll I've cut You'll be thanking us later. <laughs> I don't know how much <laughs> I've cut this up to, so you're not hearing it or from earlier. Um, but I watched it again yesterday just to kind of make sure I was refreshed on it. And since our conversation had been broken up. And so I saw it three times this week <laughs> and uh, I just love the fact that everything is so simple until you get to the third act, as far as the set, the, the, the tension you, and you got great moments of, of intrigue and chases and things like that, but nothing like that end. And it really builds up in such a well-crafted way. So when you get to that final fight, you get why Holmes is ready to to kill him <laughs> and ready to kill right kill Wraith. You know, there was no you know pussyfooting around because the very beginning of the movie, you know, Wraith is telling him, you know what, I beat you because not because I'm more skilled, but because you let your emotions get in the way. And that's one of the last things he says to him before they have their final duel. And so good. Yeah. You know what else is fun uh, too is the fact that uh, Wraith shows up. We, I think we touched on it briefly. We touched on him being in the Raiders movie. But you know what else is funny is that uh, Nicholas Rowe, who plays Holmes in this movie, is actually in Guy Ritchie's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. I was going to mention that earlier. He also, uh, it's funny because I remember him because I'm a big, I actually quite like the uh, Nicholas Nickleby movie that they made in like the early 2000s with Charlie Hunnam. I think maybe it was the first time I'd ever seen Charlie in anything. Yeah. He was in that. Christopher Plummer's in it. Jim Broadbent. Like all, all the people who we've been talking about for the last month <laughs> right. are all in this Nicholas Nickleby movie. But so is um, our man Holmes, Nicholas Rowe. So it's not like Nicholas Rowe just disappeared and didn't work again. He just, like the majority of the British actors we've been talking about, you know, he just kept on working. He wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, Holmes didn't pan out. I'm nobody blackballed him. He just kept working. And he's, you know, if you look at his credits, he's been in a ton of stuff. He just, you know, never had a franchise movie, but he's had a career as a working actor for going on, you know, 40 years. It's funny because when we looked at his IMDb, I was like, wow, he still is working. I just, can you imagine where he would be right now? If you know this went three movies, right? You know, I really you know, spread out because if you if you went three movies, it would have been eighty seven. Probably would have been like around 1990. 89 or ninety. Can you imagine the following having having this having the third movie of this follow up the third Indiana Jones the summer after Last Crusade? It would just right, yeah. And like you pointed out earlier, I just like with the Raiders movies, except for the Crystal Skull, the one we don't speak of, <laughs> the one so, that never happened. The one with the blowgun that the fiction worked in with the historical and true events is just, it's a key to the realism in, in the selling of what's being told. The story is being told to you. And I think that's why the movie works as well as it does as of any of the first three Indiana Jones movies. It just works. And we talked about the tone of this being a lot like Temple of Doom, especially the, the end of the second act into the third Right. And when we reveal the group, the overall evil plan, the <laughs> I, initially you're kind of like going as a group, you're going, you're thinking, and you knew at that point, by the way, there's something funny when there's a reveal where Watson asked Holmes, Hey, when did you know it was Wraith? When did you know he was the head of all this? I kept thinking to myself, well, when he yelled at me, when he behind his mask, when we were <laughs> at that ceremony. Right. It to me is like, cause he got yelled at him like that one time before. 
And I figured that's when he figured it out. But the, his response was, I forget what, what the response was, but it reminded me of what people say, like, oh, I, I knew that Bruce Willis was dead 15 minutes into the sixth sense. And I'm like, it sounds like such a cop out. No, no. You knew when he yelled at you because you were such an emotional person. That's when you knew. Right. I felt like it was, you know, a, a little manipulation in the script. And I didn't think it was fair. Well, you know, what's cool about that. That's the one moment I was going to mention it earlier, but the, the one moment where you get to see the crack in the veneer of Sherlock Holmes is when they are up in that head and they're looking down on Elizabeth and they're both kind of panicking. Yeah. You see Holmes is cool kind of crack a bit. And Watson has to say, why aren't you thinking, you know, there's that moment where Holmes, and then he has to study himself. Right. Breathe deep and figure it out. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of, that's a Holmes you never see. Right. Um, in, you know, you see, if you do see it, he's by himself. You don't, you don't seldom see that happen in front of Watson or anything else. When we talked about the perception of his classmates, except for the one, has always been admiration by them for him. And he's always gotten the best of whoever he's had to challenge or, or has challenged him. So yeah, when he has that moment where he just sits back and goes, shit, we're done. She's going to die. It's nothing I can do. I can't think of anything. I can't save her. And that great dejected moment, because you never see that after years of being right. Well, you know what else? It's, he's. He, but here's the thing. This is the weird irony of it all. He is right. He can't save her because she dies. Right. Right. <laughs> She might not die at that moment, but he knows ultimately, I think, did you think that he ultimately knows somehow that he can't save her? Right. Yeah. I think ultimately he knew. And, or do you and, think I'm reading too much into no, this? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I was my interpretation, especially again, watching again last night. I think that he knew he couldn't save her. And at that point he was like going, all right, I need to figure out a way to let her know I'm going to try to do it. And I still have to stop these guys from doing what they're doing. Right. But, the, but ultimately he doesn't have to, he's already figured out what, what is happening. And she is the last part of it. Right. You know, once her last part of it has been fulfilled, he knows that they're just going to stop. And so now he needs his retribution. It's really about retribution, not so much trying to save her because he knows he can't. Right. And he knows that already. He knows that. I, I'd love to about the balance that Watson brings to him right at that moment too, where he just says to him, basically slaps him across the face and says, dude, you can't figure it out because you're flustered and you're over emotional. You need to stop that. You need to calm down and balance yourself and you can figure this out. But unfortunately, Watson doesn't know why he's troubled. He thinks he's troubled because he can't figure out how to stop everything. He doesn't understand that he's already realized it's about Elizabeth and he can't save her and he knows it. Right. That's how I feel about it anyway. I don't I don't think it's the overall scheme he's trying to stop. I think it's trying to save her and he knows he can't. You're right. Because there's just two of them and hundreds of those guys. Right. The thuggies. And they're lucky they got away the first time. Right. When they got chased. And the reason they got away and then like Watson wasn't murdered was because the cemetery. Yeah. The old cat shows up with a shotgun. Yeah. He's the only one. He's the only or reason. Musket, they, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> he's it. He's the reason why they weren't murdered. Or at least one of them wasn't. Right. That's why Holmes didn't die. This movie, if you haven't seen it, man, it's on Hulu and it's on Prime right now. I think it's Prime. A bit, yeah. I think it looks a little bit better than it does on Hulu than it does on Prime. I stayed with Hulu because the Gooby, their stupid user interface is a little bit better than Prime because Prime is such a mess. But I think you're good to go either way. The sound, I think it's pretty sure it's the same transfer, but it does look maybe it just might be in my own head that <laughs> it looked better. 
this is the way to see the movie right now and the best way to see it and try to dig out a DVD at this point. Yeah, absolutely, man. Because I'm going to tell you, it, it, both versions, Hulu and Amazon, are better looking than the DVD I have. For a movie that's 35 years old, I, you know, I really hope that we just got a delayed COVID release on this that somebody's already working on and it's already yep. coming. You know, it would be great. It would, it would really just benefit from it. And as you noted, a lot of these, especially younger people are still around, you know? You know, Cox is still around. Rose is still around. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everybody. Sophie Ward's still around. <laughs> yeah. I think it may, well, other than the older cast, Nigel Stock, et cetera, and, and uh, Susan Fleetwood, Anthony Higgins is still around. Dude, and what if, I mean, dude, he, if you look that guy up, you're going to be like, oh, you've seen, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. Right. The, the one great thing I'd say about this movie in closing is um, the effects are all real fun. The builds, dude, that flying machine is, is amazingly yeah. fun. Yeah. The miniature work is great. Not a lot of CGI because- CGI wasn't quite a thing yet. So right. they were still doing things old school. <laughs> and when you see it first used at the beginning of the movie, towards the beginning of the movie, you see the wires, the four wires on it, but it's fine. You know why it's still fun and, and it's acceptable. Like, oh, cool. There's wires. Uh-huh. It's fine. But it's also the old man really is on the wire. And that's the thing. He's really on the Correct. contraption. He is on it. Yes. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'll take that. Yeah. Four stories <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> I'll take it. You know, the guy, there's airbags blow him, but it doesn't change the fact he's, you know, he still could break an arm. He can still break an elbow and he's still got a movie to film. So bonding company is probably we're losing their shit. <laughs> One quick thing. Um, here, here's a funny little bit of trivia, something we didn't talk about, but if you, if you go, if you can find this, Anthony Higgins, Wraith, uh, also plays Sherlock Holmes in 1993's Sherlock Holmes Returns. See, there you go. BBC doing what they do. I love that, dude. If you can. Yeah, me too, man. Right. It's very incestuous. <laughs> your homes, you're not homes, your homes. Every English actor wants to play Sherlock Holmes at some point in their career. Am I wrong? No. And that's what that, and that might go on. Where's my Mark yeah. Strong Sherlock Holmes? Right. Where's Mark Strong as Holmes? I'm sure if we dig, we can find it. Do it. There's a, B, there's a BBC masterpiece theater, <laughs> Hound of the Baskervilles, live on stage starring Mark Strong. Go find it. Think about that. A pre-Madonna Guy Ritchie, Sherlock Holmes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And look at it. He put him, he still put him in the movie. He loves Mark. I think he would have been a great Sherlock Holmes. If he had done rock and roll 10 years earlier and no RDJ on the, you know, as a, the box office draw that he was at that point, I could see Mark Strong playing him. Yeah. Right. Why not? Why not? You still might get it. Who knows? If we can have a young Sherlock Holmes, we can have an old as fuck Sherlock Holmes, but that, that Mark Strong. Old Sherlock. Old. Oh, no, they did that with uh, Ian McKellen. Did I know, you ever see that? I was just being a smart ass. <laughs> it's called real old Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> old as fuck. Old and forgetful Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Which would be the worst thing. That's the worst way to die for Holmes is to have uh, <laughs> Alzheimer's. It's fucked up. It's it's a really sad movie. Ian McKellen was it. like, uh, was, uh, you know, we have to go after Moriarty or or, uh, or Wolverine or what? <laughs> Who? Is Watson dead? Who's Watson? Wolverine. Um, I'm Magneto? No, you're Sherlock Holmes. Oh, well, shit. We need to get to the Shire then. I thought I was Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Gods and Monsters. Gods and monsters. There you go. Oh, if you, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, um, we're a little more active these days with the Twitter account, but just the Twitter account, just for official, it's at Karate Pod. Or you can reach Corey on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you for Patreon supporters. That's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody. No Tom Fullery this week. 
No, no, Doctor Watson. <laughs> no. No, Doctor Watson. No, Moriarty. No, Mycroft Holmes. No, just Tom Cody. Cody. Cody.